Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I told you last week that we were going to spend two weeks talking about healing and praying for the sick. The things I'm sharing today on the subject of healing are not new to me. They are not new to most of you. But like everything else, we need to be stirred up from time to time by way of reminder about certain truths. And I, and I try to insert some healing doctrine into a lot of other messages as it comes up on the oblique, uh, as it were. But this, uh, this is such an important aspect of the finished work of Christ that we really do need every now and then to focus on it a little more at length. Plus, as I mentioned last week, I had a strong leading from the Lord to do this. There were a couple other topics that I know I need to cover, but I really do believe this was an unction from God to go this direction for these two weeks. Um, And I want to uh, also let you know that I've been encouraged. Uh, Many of you have uh, reported to me that this, this was a message that you needed to hear, that it was timely for one reason or another, and have shared testimonies with me. And if you have a healing testimony from last week, I still want to hear it. I believe some of you have experienced manifestations since the prayer line last week that the rest of us need to hear about. Also, though, remember this. This is one of the things I kind of mentioned a couple times last week. And it's that, yeah, God is doing something big. And this kind of gets into what I want to say eventually about the topic of revival. So I'm not going to dissect it right now, but I think you know what I mean. There is a a renewal, a series of encounters, whatever you want to call them, that is sweeping the country, maybe not coast to coast, maybe not en masse, but it is certainly popping up in different college campuses around the nation and other places. People are seeing this, this uh, signs of revival and uh, in, uh, in you know, some, not just uh, campuses, not churches, but in communities. And I bring that up because I want to disabuse you of the notion that if God is doing something big like that, if we're in the middle of a great move of God, then we shouldn't be concerned about his care for us as individual believers. He promises. His promises, if he has made them, are not compromised by his activity on the large scale. Does that make sense? He can do it all. I remember a conversation uh, I was reading years ago, online between two people who were talking about sexual sin. And one guy made the, the comment, he says, I believe in God too. He says, but with everything wrong in this world, you've got people in dire poverty, uh, starving to death. There's war, all sorts of ugly uh, manifestations of evil and violence in the world. Why could God, how could God in the middle of all this care who somebody shares their bed with? I think God is more concerned whether they have a bed or not. And this one brilliant response says, I believe in an infinite God who is capable of being concerned whether or not everybody has a bed and at the same time being concerned about who they're sharing that bed with. Those things are not mutually exclusive, are they? And it's the same with this. Christianity, what have we said for years? It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And if God is capable of having an individual relationship with each one of us as he is, 
uh, then he can do that at the same time he is moving at large. His, his focused attention on you does not in any way diminish what he's doing on the large scale. So again, it's not like a, I remember a comedian years ago saying he was always afraid to turn on the little air blower in the airplane because he thought he would be diverting power away from the jets. Uh, that's not how it works though, is it? We, we say, well, I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to ask God to pour his power out on me when he's got so many other big things to take care of. There is no shortage. Oh, man, remember that old imperial song? There's a shortage on corn. We got a shortage on wheat. Anybody remember that? Want me to sing the whole song for you? <clears throat> Look it up. This was pre-Rust Taff Imperials. It goes back a ways. Uh, so, he can be aware of and concerned with everything at the same time and not lose his focus, not lose... Uh, you don't have to risk his attention not being on you. This is from the Old Testament, and it's one of my all-time favorite stories. I'm not going to preach it to you now. Uh, but, it has, uh, but it's been a while, so I may do it soon. But you remember a king named Asa. He was one of the early good kings in Judah. And uh, he had uh, just blown it. He had, he had been a good king up till this moment, and he had made a bad decision. And the prophet came to him and said this, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Now, I love that verse in isolation. If you read it in context, it's a, it's a chastisement. It's a correction. It's a, it's a message of judgment. He said, you blew it. And he'd blown it by not trusting in God. He had entered into a treaty that he shouldn't have entered into because he wasn't leaning fully on God. And the prophet was basically reminding him, you didn't have to worry about that. You shouldn't have compared your armies. You shouldn't have looked outside God to meet this need because the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. But because you didn't believe that, you're going to have wars from here on out. So reading it in context, you see how sad it is, but even taking it out of context, it's a glorious truth. Isn't that good news that you don't have to jump around and wave your hands and scream and cut yourself to get God's attention? Why? Because even while he's managing the affairs of the cosmos, his eyes are actively looking from shore to shore around the world, constantly looking for that person whose heart is completely his. Why? Because he delights in showing himself strong on that person's behalf. Well, we'll get into that whole story some other time. What I want to look at today is how God displays his will, his strength on our, half, our behalf for healing. And for me, there are four main lines of reasoning, and you can kind of divide these up or see where they overlap. I don't want to get too categorical about this. But when it comes to the doctrine of healing, uh, one, there are the Old Testament promises. Two, there is Old Testament prophecy. And woven between those two things is our, our testimonies and experiences of God's healing, which... Uh, are found throughout. Uh, three, the ministry of Jesus. And four, the doctrine of the epistles. And actually, number three in that chronological list, the ministry of Jesus uh, is number one in terms of our faith. And that's what I will wrap up with today. But let's take a quick look at some of these. And I mean quick because I don't intend for one second to present you with anything like an exhaustive list of everything 
uh, that all four of these categories have to say. Keith Moore wouldn't be able to do that in 10 messages. That's why he has so many separate series, not just messages, but series on the topic of healing. But I do want to give you a taste of these uh, to see God's will for healing. And, and uh, I'll, I'll go through these kind of quick. And I think most of these are from the New King James Version. I might have copied and pasted the wrong version, so bear with me. You can read them up here if they've got them in. Otherwise, I encourage you to follow along in your Bible as quickly as you can. In Exodus chapter 15, Exodus 15, 26 says, And said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. If you don't have that one highlighted in your Bible, uh, number one, get you a Bible that you can highlight and be one and B. Yes, correct. Number one and number B, highlight it. Exodus 23, beginning in verse 25. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. It's good. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Uh, verse 15, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Psalm 103, I think we read this last week, Psalm 103, beginning in verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20, my son, give attention to my words, Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Psalm 91, beginning in verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. That's good stuff. Jeremiah, here's a couple of prophecies. Jeremiah 30, verse 17, For I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord. Jeremiah 33, verse 6, Behold, it will bring health and cure. I will bring it health and cure, and I will cure them, and re will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. And then this, probably the most significant passage of Scripture in the Old Testament that talks about Jesus, the Messiah, this is from Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm going to read this one from the Holman Christian Standard Bible because I think it's a little clearer. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him, yet, we, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. I want to stop there and explain something to you. You see, when Jesus was rejected and suffered and was beaten and crucified, the conclusion that the Jews came to, especially the ones who were in leadership, was, aha, he was a false messiah. This is God's judgment on him. The things that he is suffering is proof that that. that God is against him because 
the anointed one, the Messiah, is clearly not going to undergo what Jesus is going through. And then it turns right around in verse 5 and says, but he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. This is, like, this is so beautiful in Isaiah because it prophesies not just what Jesus went through, but it prophesies the reaction of the people witnessing this. We thought he was afflicted by God, but we realize, oh no, he wasn't um, pierced because of his transgressions. He wasn't bruised because of his own iniquities, but ours. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went, away like, uh, went astray like sheep, and we have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. You see this substitutionary atonement in that whole passage. And look at how it changes a little bit. He was pierced because of our transgressions. In other words, we transgressed, and so he was pierced. He was crushed because of our iniquities. It was our iniquity, so he, so he was crushed. But then it says, the punishment for our peace was on him. Now, he's not being punished because of our peace, right? You see how it kind of switches here? He is being punished to purchase our peace. He is undergoing a complete lack of peace so that we can have it. And we are healed by his wounds. He is undergoing the wounding, the stripes, the beating for the specific purchase, uh, purpose of purchasing our healing. Everything he went through, he went through for us. Now, I have said this before, and I throw this in as a bonus. It's not specifically part of the healing message, but I've told you this story, and it just really... I think it's important to recognize, and this isn't to, boy, this is the last, uh, we got to be so careful during cancel culture that we're living in that I sure don't want to say anything anti-Semitic. I am not. I'm absolutely pro-Israel, pro-Jew. Uh, but a lot of ministers uh, over the years I've seen, they, they'll dissect an Old Testament uh, passage and even a New Testament passage and where something we've celebrated is meaning something, and they'll say, actually, if you go back to the ancient writings of Jewish scholars... Jewish commentary. We can learn so much about how they interpreted this passage. And I have, uh, the, the story I've told you before is the one where Felucia came into my office saying, look, look at this, look at this, you have to see this, you have to see this. And what he had gotten his hands on was a one-year Bible type thing for Jewish people. It was just the Old Testament broken up into daily readings so that your uh, good Jewish boy or girl could read through the whole Old Testament in a year, and with commentary. He got his hands on it out of curiosity, maybe saw it in a bookstore or something. He says, I was so excited. I'm not going to continue my imitation of Felucia, but it's always just lovely to hear him talk. And uh, he says, I wanted to see what they said about Isaiah chapter 53. Because this is the one that, that, that how do you, if you don't believe Jesus was the Messiah, but you do believe Isaiah, what do you think Isaiah is talking about here? So I turned to the commentary. You know, you track it. It goes more or less through the Bible. He says, look at this. They skipped it. They left it out. Not that they didn't comment on it. They didn't include it in the daily readings. Wow, we. 
Uh, but now, that's not true across the board. They do include it in the readings. But you can, check, you can check it out yourself. Go look, type it in. What do the Jews think this means? And see if you think it makes sense. It, like, it makes sense up to a point, and then it's like, nope, this can't be talking about. It can't be talking about what you think it's talking about. This only could describe the Messiah. I said all that also to say that while there's probably some value into looking at what some of these ancient scholars or maybe even modern scholars, you need to get a Jewish spin on that. You have to understand that it was precisely these Jewish scholars and their interpretation of certain scriptures that led the Jewish people to reject Jesus in the first place. If you can't get that one right, I'm going to take your other commentary with a grain of salt and trust the Holy Spirit and the teachers that he brings into my life to explain these scriptures. Okay. Now, let me make a couple of quick comments about the doctrine of the epistles because I'm skipping over the ministry of Jesus because that's the one I want to end with. Uh, it kind of deserves its own message someday, so I'm going to keep it brief. I just want to acknowledge a few things. It's been pointed out by some people that Paul himself says little about it in his letters in terms of a doctrine of healing by faith. Now, we know, uh, we know a couple things. Read through the book of Acts, and you know that Paul believed in healing. God worked many extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. A lot of healing miracles. We just looked at one last week where he was preaching the gospel uh, and saw that somebody in the congregation who was lame in his feet, what, from birth, uh, saw that he had faith to be healed. And he told him to stand up. So we know that God worked healing through him. But does he say something? Uh, what else does he say doctrinally? Well, he writes at length about the gifts, including gifts of healings in 1 Corinthians. Um, so it is certainly doctrinally correct to say that these things were God-breathed. But what do they say about the doctrine of healing, particularly the doctrine of healing by faith? Some have said that Paul and Peter say essentially nothing about God's will to heal, about God promising, promising healing, only that God did heal and perhaps still does. This is what they conclude from Paul and Peter. Uh, but they would say that it's not enough to hang your coat on, you know, doctrinally speaking. But, and so they'll say, because Paul or Peter did not write, this is it. You must understand that Jesus has promised healing. It belongs to every believer. All you have to do is believe it and confess it, speak it over your body. That, so they say, so there's not enough there for doctrine. But then they'll turn around and take a verse, Trophimus, I left sick in Miletus. And they'll say, that's, then they'll hang their coat on that. That's doctrine right there. We can conclude categorically that God doesn't always heal because Paul left Trophimus sick in Miletus. It doesn't say anything about God's will to heal. We don't, it doesn't say that, that God didn't heal Trophimus. Certainly doesn't say he died, right? Does it? I don't know. Maybe I'm missing it here. Tell me. I, I left him uh, in Miletus and maybe read later. Oh, well, not, that was a bad turnout. Wouldn't matter. Uh, if, if it didn't turn out well. Point is, all he's telling us is, he was sick when I left. Now what they're saying is, Paul clearly couldn't heal at will. And this is even written in some of your Bibles, that passage we read, Brother Hagin used to laugh at this, he, he would always point this out, the passage we read in Acts last week, where Paul is preaching the gospel, saw that the man had faith to be healed, told him to stand up, and he did. Uh, he said, look at the heading. And, and most of our Bibles, the heading, it wasn't part of the scripture, it's just part of the editing process. You know what it says there? Paul healeth a cripple. Paul healeth a cripple. And, can, and Brother Hagin would laugh. He'd say, Paul didn't heal nobody. 
That was the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus healed that man. And Paul would be the first one to say that. Nobody's arguing that Paul had an inherent power to go around healing people. But just that the doctrine of healing says that he can use us and we can flow in those gifts and we can be healed and that it is God's express will that we be healed. Don't ask me. You can ask me. I'm just telling you, I don't know why so many people who seem to believe that don't seem to get healed. I'm not going to base my doctrine on your experience. I'm not going to base my doctrine on my experience. I'm going to base my doctrine from the word of the Lord, and I have to believe that as I continue to confess and believe that I will see the manifestation, and you will see the manifestation. And I believe we're living in a time, living in an age, where we are going to see these things happen, not only more and more suddenly, but more and more quickly. Talked about the difference between suddenly and instantly. Do you remember the illustration of the snow falling off that shed? Uh, those are suddenlies, but they're not always as soon as we want. I think they're going to start piling up. I think this is going to be one manifestation of the plowman overtaking the sower, so, or so vice versa. Anyway, uh, getting ahead of myself. Paul uh, doesn't bother explaining. He just says he left Trophimus there we do have a concrete statement, at least one concrete statement about healing in the epistles, though, that's really, uh, there's nothing mysterious about it. It's, it's, it's pretty black and white, and we've already read it several times. Not today, but in the days leading up to this day in James chapter 5, right? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith might save the sick, you never know. And the Lord might raise him up from his sickness. Doesn't say that, does it? The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, finally, I want you to look at the ministry of Jesus. He did all kinds of miracles, all sorts of miracles, but everywhere he went, he healed the sick. Not only that, uh, the, when it comes to miracles, the, the, the miracles that, that Jesus did being recorded in the Gospels, more of them were healing than anything else. I'm talking about not just general statements about healing, but individual miracles of healing, where it tells you what they were healed of, how Jesus ministered healing to them, right? But I think it's more significant, doctrinally speaking, that when he ministered to the multitudes who came to him sick or brought sick people to them, that he healed them all. This is maybe the most important statement the Bible has to say to us about the doctrine of healing. Why? Because it's Jesus who is our example. He himself said that he only spoke and did what the Father told him. In fact, said something maybe even more important. Look at John chapter 5. This is right after he heals the man at the pool. Remember, he's waiting for the water to be stirred. He has no man to put him in. Jesus comes. You want to be made well. He says, stand up, take up your pallet, and walk. And this is the part that got him into trouble because the Jews, the Jewish leaders are like, what's this man doing carrying his bed on a Sabbath? Well, the man who healed me told me to carry it. So they confront, he's confronted... And here's what uh, it says in verse 18, John chapter 5, 18. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, 
but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered them, answered and said to them, listen to this, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. Jesus, this is an important distinction. We know he did what God, everything God told him to do. But in this, in this statement, what he's saying is, everything I do, I do because I'm watching my father and imitating him. I'm going to do what he does in the manner in which he does it. So what is it that Jesus apparently always saw God doing? Healing. How many people did Jesus make sick? Zero that I know of. How many did he heal? Everybody who came to him for healing. Why? Because, why? To show us that he was God? To show us that he had the power? No, because that's what God does. That's where healing comes from. He is. That's how he identifies himself. The God who heals. Let me quickly tie a couple of things together because of the forgiveness aspect that we just mentioned a minute ago from James. Does God ever make people sick? Now, many people have said, and there's a case to be made for this, that when it appears, especially when we see it in Old Testament passages, uh, that God sent a plague, or even flat out says, as I think he does in Micah, uh, I think it was Micah where he says, you can, you can find it right there, I will make you sick. Well, that's the kind of thing, a hard thing to argue with. If God never makes people sick, why would he threaten them with that? What I want you to understand uh, well, when people say that, when they read this, what they say, well, what's really happening? Sickness doesn't come from the hand of God. It's simply God removing his protection. Or more accurately, people deliberately walking out from under God's protection. He said, look, you live like this. You believe this, and you are under this bubble. You are under my protection. You are, you are inheritors of specific promises. Now, if you leave, if you walk out from under that, you're on your own. There's a case to be made for interpreting it like that. And yet at the same time, if it's God withdrawing his protection or choosing not to you know, uh, follow with his protection somebody who leaves him, well, God is still in control of all that. All I want you to see is, let's don't sweat it. It's simpler just to understand that every time he said anything like that or that we read about plagues or anything like that happening to God's people, it is always in what context? Judgment. Punishment. You brought this on yourself. Never would you see him say anything like, I, the Lord God, see things from a different perspective than you could ever possibly understand. And from time to time, I'm going to bring sickness in your life so that you learn humility. Uh, or so, you know, it'll never make sense to you. My will is inscrutable to you. It may never make sense to you. Maybe it'll make sense to you when you were in heaven. Or you might learn a lesson that you'll be able to share with somebody else. Now, can God bring some good? I've said this before. I'm not going to share my back testimony with you again. But it was the most significant physical healing I've ever experienced. And I did learn some things before I received the manifestation. I am not, therefore, going to say, well, because of what I learned, clearly God broke my back or, or made my back hurt for all that time because, after all, he taught me some things. No, that's God in his grace saying, even while you are moving toward the manifestation of the promise that I made to you and purchased for you all those years ago, I'm still going to teach you some things. We'll bring some good out of this, even though it's not from me. Okay? Now, again, if he makes these threats, these warnings, 
in the context of judgment, what does that mean? That when these things came to pass because they didn't receive God's correction and sickness happened, plagues came, what was that? It was a curse. It was a curse that Moses pronounced clear back in Deuteronomy, reminded them of it, and then prophesied because he saw where this was going to go. But guess what? What does redemption mean? What does salvation mean? That we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. We are not under that law anymore. If it's a manifest, manifestation of judgment, praise God. You and I have already been judged in Christ Jesus. That's why we see two very important things. One, when Jesus said to the paralyzed man, look at it in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Mark 2, 1, and again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let him down on the, on the bed on which he, the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say about the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? Now, what's easier to say? What's the answer to that question? It's easier to say you're forgiven because you can't back it up that you have the authority. If you say, rise, take up your bed and walk, and something doesn't happen, then you prove you don't have the authority to say anything. So what's he say? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, immediately, he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. It is super important to recognize that the same Jesus that has the authority to heal us has the authority to forgive us. And he has made our forgiveness and our healing equally accessible by the same mechanism. This is why, James writes, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Talked about it before. Can't overstate the importance of it. If you are struggling with receiving healing, and one of the reasons you think you can't be healed is because you don't deserve it, because you deserve judgment, that you're under a curse, remember Jesus was made a curse for you. We've been redeemed from the curse. We have been judged in Christ. And if, we ha- if we've committed any sin since then, this is why James bends over backwards to point it out. They're going to pray for you. They're going to anoint you with oil. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And if you committed any sins, they'll be forgiven you. Don't draw the conclusion that we only get sick because of, uh, of uh, sin. Sin can open the door for sickness. Sin can open the door for poverty and manifestations of these other things, but they're not from the hand of God. 
We've been redeemed from those curses, and that's the ground we go with that we're standing on when we go to God. We go, don't go to say, I deserve healing because I have never sinned. I take good care of my body. Uh, I deserve uh, to be made well because I sing louder than anybody else. No, the standing you have is the same standing you have when you go to him for salvation. You have done the finished work. You've provided. You've purchased my salvation with your blood. You've purchased my healing with your stripes. I receive it. Because it's a gift, I receive it because you've made it available to me. I'm not going to let sin keep me from receiving. I'm not going to stay in sin. I'm going to turn from these things. I want to walk out your will in every area of my life. But right now, I'm determined to walk out manifestly your will concerning my physical healing because you paid such a dear price for it. Amen. Stand up with me. Praise and worship team, you can come up here quickly, quickly. We have barely scratched the surface. There's so much more to say about this, and therefore we may return to this topic for a more detailed look. Maybe I'll do a little bit longer series on healing sometime in the future, maybe the near future, but not right away unless God says do it. Uh, all these two relatively short teachings were designed for is to stir you up, stir you up, stir you up in the knowledge that you already have. It's not to deposit in something you didn't know. Most of you knew most of this stuff, but we all need to be reminded there is something in there like this idea that there's chocolate in the milk already. That's a Craig Hagen illustration, but it's actually a pretty good one. You know, it's like you can pour Hershey's syrup into a glass, but it doesn't turn your milk chocolate until you stir it up. So, so this message is to stir you up, uh, bring these beliefs and, this, uh, and particularly faith for healing, healing to the surface where you're ready to exercise it and walk in it, uh, and to strengthen your faith. It's all to prepare you for this moment when I lay my hands on the sick, anoint you with oil. Why? Because the oil has some magical property? Nope. It's olive oil from the kitchen cupboard. But it's oil. It's kind of like the ordinance. Is there something magic about the juice and the wafer that we ate? No. What's, what's, what's powerful is us participating in that at the command of Christ. Same with this. There's power in obedience. There's power in walking this out just as James delivered to us as he received from the Lord. There's more than one way to receive healing. I know people were healed this morning during praise and worship, during what happened up here, and many of you may have received healing while we were singing. Maybe you received the healing during communion. I've heard it all, and praise God for it. But we're going to do this now, because this is what James has commanded, uh, or what God commanded through James. So I want to do one thing very quickly first, and that is, again, to remind you that all these great and wonderful promises, it sounds too good to be true. You mean... I believe in God, and I think it's okay to ask God for healing, but what you're saying, Scott, is that healing really already belongs to me? Yes, it does, if you are a confessing believer in Christ Jesus. If you have confessed the Lord Jesus, if you believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And once you are saved, once you are that new creature, that new creation in Christ Jesus, Oh, I pity the believer who has come to that point and has never had their eyes opened to everything that entails. None of us probably understand everything that entails, but to somebody who said, there, now you're a believer, now you can go to heaven when you die, and leaves it at that, and thank God for heaven. But to not open our eyes to everything that that package of salvation includes. Yeah, I ordered salvation. And all I was concerned about was not going to hell. And then I opened that package. I was like, but wait, there's more. 
and you don't have to pay extra for it. You don't have to do anything. It's all there in the salvation package, and it includes healing. But the main thing is, you got to be saved. The healing, the provision, the protection that he offers is ultimately worthless without eternity. It's this relationship with God that secures all of it. The question is not, how can we expect more from God? After all, he saved us from hell. Answers it right there in Romans. If he did not withhold his son from us, how will he not with him freely give us all things? That's the biblical perspective. It's not, how can you expect more than salvation? It's, if he did this for you, why wouldn't he do it all for you? This is his desire for you. First things first, though. If you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord, if you've made Jesus Christ your Lord and walked away, come walking back now. Don't stay out there in the danger zone. Don't stay out there in poverty, in sickness, questioning what your life means. Come here now. I mean now. Get out of your seat and walk up here and let me pray with you just to lead you in a simple prayer where you just turn, give your life to God. You're not giving it to him. All you're acknowledging is he's already paid for it. And you're saying, okay, I yield to that. You bought it. I accept that price paid for me. Here I am. I belong to you. And I, f I receive everything that you've included in that salvation promise. Heavenly Father, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice who has not made that decision, I pray. And believers, I'm asking you to pray now in the Spirit, agreeing, agreeing that the Holy Spirit will move on everybody who needs to respond to that prayer for salvation, so that they may be healed, so that they may be provided for, restored to everything God has for them. Don't be shy. Don't be shy about coming to receive a healing. Don't be shy about a broken heart, about a specific word. There's too much writing on this for you to worry about your pride or anything else. This is life and death. Don't pass this moment up. Father, convict them of their need now and grant them the wisdom, the boldness, and the humility to come now and receive that free gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to leave that invitation open. Meanwhile, if you need healing in your body, again, don't hesitate. Come, line up here. I'm not going to labor over you in prayer. You come up here ready to receive. I will lay my hand on you, anoint you with oil, and declare that you are healed. And then you just receive it. You say, thank you, God. And you keep saying, thank you, God, whether you feel a electricity or anything come into your body. Come on up here. And if you're coming up here for salvation, I don't need to know what's wrong with you if you're up here for healing. I'm just going to speak healing to you. But if you're up here to be saved, to answer that initial invitation, grab me and say, Scott, I'm not up here for physical healing. Or maybe I am, but first I need to be saved. Let me know that, okay? Praise the Lord. Take us there, praise and worship team. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.